Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody out there. Welcome to No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before with insight from some of the best in the business of reality TV, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, game shows, and much more. From The Prophet to Big Brother to Love is Blind to Live PD, if it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes among my many credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who have made unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, and game shows not just something you watch or consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Okay, let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about competition series and challenge-based shows, something I love and something that obviously has become a huge part of reality television. And I think I've got the perfect guest for that. This guy has produced some wild challenges on some great shows. I'm talking about Amazing Race, Biggest Loser, Pros vs. Joes, that's where he and I met, Minute to Win It, Bet on Your Baby, Quibi's new show, Floored, which he (laughs) co-created and executive produced, and he is now preparing for his 14th season on the long-running CBS hit Big Brother. He's currently serving as the show's co-executive producer. Please welcome... Heath Lumen. Heath, thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Good to hear your voice. I know, man. We have yeah, we haven't chatted in a while. I know, and it's uh, usually it's catching up over a beer. <laughs> uh, but but in these uh, COVID times, that's not happening. Big Brother is uh, headed towards season twenty-two, which is truly amazing. Okay, so obviously a lot of shows are you know in in jeopardy, right? You got a lot of shows, but Big Brother because of the way the show is structured. You know, everybody's locked into this house, right? It would appear on paper that that is the type of show that maybe be able to exist in the, you know, in this in this place where we're headed with coronavirus. So talk to me a little bit about what's the status of Big Brother season 22 as we sit here right now. So currently, I, I can tell you, I am currently working on the show. I can't reveal a lot about what we're up to, how the show may or may not change, the the start date and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I'm going to leave that to CBS to announce when they feel <laughs> Totally fine. Totally understandable. Uh, but, but I can tell you that we're, you know, I think right now our attitude for the few of us that are on, you know, we're thinking, we're, we're already thinking about creative. We're thinking about what twists we want to do. And we're thinking about how do we keep not only the house guests safe, but how do we keep the staff and crew safe? You know, because like you said, the show itself kind of seems perfect, right? We're basically sheltering in place for the house guests, yeah. you know, as, you know, assuming they can get tested before they go in and they're quarantined. Once they're in, unlike most other shows where they interact with producers, face-to-face conversations, most shows have camera guys like walking right up right. to them or guys, audio people change their mic. And they, you know, the average 
reality show, there's a lot of interaction with several people behind the scenes. Big Brother is not the case. When I'm talking to the house guests, I, I'm talking into a headset. They hear my disembodied voice over a speaker. Right. And a lot of the interviews are done through just voice only, um, where the producers see the house guests on a monitor and the house guest just hears the voice of the producer. So, yeah, we actually, uh, you know, are a little more equipped. We have so many, you know, hit, like robo cameras all through the house and mics. The house guests learn to change their own mics. So it is one of those rare shows that there's, by design, there's there's very minimal, if if basically no interaction once they go into the house. Like, um, you know, obviously we gotta we're gonna have to think about disinfecting food and things that we we sure, deliver to them course. and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah, I think we have a little bit of a head start in terms of how the system is already built and how we work. But I think the bigger challenge for us on a show that we're delivering three hours of television a week is how do we keep the massive you know staff and crew safe? You know, how do we protect all the workers. So I think that's the bigger challenges, you know, that we're up against at the moment is thinking through some of that stuff, but we're, you know, we're working on it and we're optimistic, you know, hoping to deliver another fantastic season of big brother. I think it's a time where people are craving new content. And so I think, uh, you know, if we can get it up and running and, and, you know, put it on the air, I think a lot of people are going to be excited about it. So I want to get into Big Brother a little bit more as well as how we all as crew members, as producers are going to adjust to this new world that we're facing. Um, but I always like to start with each of my guests with how you got into the magical world of unscripted television. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you and I met, you know, on Pros versus Joe's and you were crushing it as a challenge guy. How did you get into reality television? So, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, everybody has a different path, obviously. I think for me, it was early work, you know, obviously like a lot of people starting as an assistant doing more like music videos and working on a company that um, produced films, that kind of stuff. Eventually working on daytime talk shows, different things. I started in reality, actually a little more on the story side. So I was, I was on temptation Island. The very first season I helped research where to go. I didn't actually go onto the shoot because it coincided with Sydney Summer Olympics, which I had tickets to, and I didn't want to mess up that opportunity. <laughs> uh, but I, but I did season two of Temptation Island. I was working for Rocket Science Laboratories at the, at the time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so season two, I was out doing story down in Costa Rica on that show, and I jumped around, did some different story things. But but one day I went in for this mysterious show that they wouldn't they wouldn't tell me much about the show, just that it was a you know competition reality type show. And the position I interviewed for was was listed as segment producer. Okay. In the interview, I learned that the segments they wanted me to produce were games. Got it. And I had never really done anything like that. But but fast forward to getting hired on that show, doing it, it was called The Joe Schmo Show. Oh, yeah. And that was oh, my yeah. first game producer credit, and uh, which was a little weird because the games, if you're familiar with that show, it's, it's basically one real guy everyone else is actors playing these yeah. scripted roles, kind of sort of poking fun of, of the reality genre, a bit, right. to be honest. Yeah, no, it is. Um, but it was a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyhow, so that was my, that was kind of my first game experience, which was a bizarre one because it was all scripted and fake and all the games were basically rigged to have certain storyline outcomes. But I worked with some people who had done legit games, uh, different types of game shows. So I kind of learned the right way to test things, to play with the props, to make sure they're going to work, to actually write up rules and think about, you know, how to judge and score and how we're going to, you know, thinking about how that's going to be edited together. And uh, so anyhow, from that experience, I was working with someone that had worked on Big Brother. And so, you know, after, as we were wrapping Joe Schmo, 
uh, this guy, Mike Miller said, Hey, you, you know, why don't you come interview for big brother? So I did, I ended up getting hired on big brother season four. And then very quickly, you know, at the time, at the time there were more and more of these sort of reality game, you know, competition type shows starting to perk up and they're, because they didn't really exist before. There weren't a lot of people that had a lot of experience at it. So right. I was fortunate to be kind of right place, right time. And like a lot of folks in the industry, I think it was sort of that word of mouth, meeting people, networking, taking advantage of the opportunities given. And uh, yeah, it sort of, it sort of just rocketed from there. I felt like suddenly the phone was ringing much more for, for game type positions, as opposed to some of the story type stuff that I had been doing or field directing that I've been doing before. It's not something that I consciously chose to go into games, but those opportunities kept presenting themselves. I felt like it was fun. I was good at it. And uh, so it just kind of took off from there. And, you know, whether you're talking about the Joe Schmo show or you're talking about Big Brother and, you know, you go on to do Biggest Loser, A Minute to Win It, Better Than Your Baby, Amazing Race, right? What do you feel like makes a great challenge? Because you're coming up with a wide variety of challenges because each show presents you know, different uh, struggles for a guy who's got to be creative. What makes a great challenge? So I think that answer is going to change a little bit depending on which show, obviously, and what, you know, what the criteria is for the challenge on that show. But I think one thing that all shows, all challenges have in common is I think they need to capture the imagination, you know, something sure. that piques your curiosity. Um, you know, a lot of challenges are born out of things that we all relate to. So there's kind of an inroad, you know, maybe there is a challenge we played in you know, from your childhood or something that we, but if that all the further it goes, it's not that interesting. You've seen that before. You've done that before. So it needs some extra little hook, some element of surprise, I think is what's magical. And something that for me, I think there's this strong play along factor. Obviously we know, uh, play along with a show like Jeopardy, you're literally playing along, you're answering the questions, but I think there's other things, you know, even like Masked Singer, you know, there's a play along factor, you're guessing sure. at home, but I think there's also a play along factor similar like a pro sports event where sometimes you sort of set the stage between different characters. And as you know more about what they're about to do in your head, you're sort of making predictions, right? Like, Oh, I think that character is going to win. They're really good at this or that. And I think there's something fun about if you can, if you can design a challenge that sort of delights and surprise teases something about to come, like maybe some big visual or something interesting and sort of sets the stakes that maybe as a viewer, gee, I think I know who's going to win, but I'm not quite sure. You know, maybe you stay yeah. tuned to kind of to see how it proves out and see if you were right or wrong. Um, but I think the best challenges on on the top level are simple. They're you know not too confusing to explain, but to sort of have these hidden layers beneath them. You know, so I'd say a good challenge is one that's simple, can be explained. You know, right from the top, very simply. But then as you start to watch it, it unfolds and it actually has other layers. The best challenge is to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, they're not one note. There's usually, it starts out one way. There's usually some fun, unexpected surprise, maybe an opportunity from like a come from behind victory, perhaps, you know, and then, a, and then it builds tension, it builds stakes, it builds, you know, fun, deliver visuals, whatever, uh, to a clean, judgeable win. What, so whether you're talking about Big Brother or Survivor, American Ninja Warrior, making the cut, you know, the new show on Amazon, you know, your lawn and running shows like Project Runway, Top Chef, Hell's Kitchen, The Voice, American Idol, RuPaul's Drag Race. Why do you think uh, audiences are fascinated with the competition series? Like it's still going. They still rate to today. You know, you still, you know, Big Brother still getting numbers every single summer. There's so there's a lot of reasons, honestly, 
I think there's a lot of different reasons, but I think one reason that I don't hear people talk about much that I think is a, a big reason, you know, that contributes to the success of some of these challenge type series is I think there's an audience that maybe isn't as into sports. You know, there's a lot of people that just aren't into football, baseball, basketball, but I think the common thread with those of having a favorite, have a, having a rooting interest, someone you can identify with or cheer for or get behind. I think that's a big part of it, especially on, you know, some of these shows that are like the season arcs where you really get to know the characters, you know, there's, there's villains, there's heroes, there's underdogs. And I think humans want to connect and root and sort of live vicariously and cheer for the underdog or the good guy or whatever. So, uh, you know, I think that's a big part of it is it, it gives an opportunity to have sort of a, a, an invested rooting interest for a lot of people who maybe aren't so much into sports. Simplicity is something that kind of goes across a lot of the shows that you've done in terms of the challenges. Biggest loser, you know, mm -hmm. very simple. You got to lose weight, right? But there's mm -hmm. inherent challenges with what you had to do with these people. Can you talk a little bit about what was, what was difficult about creating challenges on Biggest Loser, what you learned as a producer on that show? The obvious is we're doing a show with athletic physical challenges with people who don't do athletic physical challenges. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like the obvious thing is like, we're talking about, you know, really obese people with potential, you know, health and safety risks that we're asking to do physical stuff. And so, you know, on that show, I'd say one thing that, that I really, you know, I think I already kind of knew and learned, but through producing that show became even more obvious is the importance of testing. Yeah. And so, you know, take, take that show, for example. Um, and also thinking about, you know, when you're running an apartment, or you're overseeing all the challenges on a show. There's, there's kind of this uh, thing to building the calendar. Um, you know, like a lot of people work with index cards, right? Like they have ideas. Yeah, about sure. Shows or late yeah, night build shows out your calendar. Yeah. What challenge works Exa for each episode? Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing with, with Biggest Loser was when we were designing the series and plugging in where these cards go in a series, there was a lot more thought and care into when we're doing it. Are we doing this challenge with 10 people that all weigh 300 pounds early in the season? Are we going to plug it maybe downstream where it's going to play a little different when people are actually pretty fit and there's less people? So I think, you know, testing and, and sort of thinking about that and, and even like on that show, something sort of interesting was we had, you know, we had a little budget basically to hire paid testers that come in and do these games so we could sort of observe and set the parameters and identify like, oh, are we making it too hard? Is it too easy? What should the rules be for this game? But we had different, it was a little awkward to be honest, like yeah. when I'm recruiting a friend, like, hey, you want to come be a game tester on Biggest Loser? <laughs> you know, it's like you got to have like either a certain level of trust with somebody, you know, where they're not going to get offended. I was going to um, say, was that like or, a hint? Was that like a wink, yeah. wink? You, yeah. you may like, want to cut a few LBs, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like I had, you know, like there's one friend that comes in mind, uh, an editor, actually a buddy of mine, who's, you know, he will admit that he's very overweight. Uh, but yeah, he was a guy that I recruited for some of the early phase testing because he fit the body type, you know, and like I said, we have a trust and, sure. and whatever relationship. Sure. So he was comfortable. I felt comfortable asking him, but then there's other strangers where you sort of put it out, like the team kind of does their work and kind of reaches out to people um, that we can bring on, but we need different types throughout the season. And we got to make sure we get the right body types 
when we're testing, like say a you know a game early in the season where they haven't lost as much weight yet and haven't done built up the cardio and the stamina, there's a different type of person you test, you know, for that versus later on when a lot of these people can run circles around me by the end of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So let's flip the script completely. You go from dealing with people who are overweight, trying to lose weight, to some of the best athletes to ever play their sports, where you and I met on Pros versus Joes, right? Mm-hmm. So we were working with so Dennis, you know, Jerry Rice, Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson, Bill Romanowski, Clyde Drexler, Jenny Finch, Muggsy Bogues, Dennis Rodman. Like it was, it was a crazy, it was crazy. The type, so le- yeah, the level of talent, right? But what was I think made again, this is my POV, but what made your job tough was it wasn't just throw the ball out there and it's one-on-one or two-on-two. We had to, you had to create, kind of put worlds together that that allowed the Joes to be competitive so that Jerry Rice wasn't just schooling these people. Tell me, can you tell the audience a little bit about what made that show difficult for you creating challenges? Yeah, great question, Steve. So, that one of the challenges with that show was having enough volume of diversity uh, of what we're watching, right? You don't want to necessarily do the same exact challenge over and over, but it becomes hard when, you know, you have, let's say five pitchers that you're featuring, right? The obvious thing is like, Oh, can you hit a pitch off that pitcher? Okay. Well, that's great for one episode, but you don't really want to watch that same thing like right. over and over and yeah. over. Yeah, so I you remember. had to start getting really creative you know, and unlike, you know, some of these other shows that are so outside the box or so wacky and weird and bizarre, you know, we had to sort of live in this authenticity world of sports, you know, like we didn't want to go, we didn't want to veer too far from what some of these people actually did. You know, we wanted to have that authenticity um, and dig into the sport. So it was a challenge to come up with enough ideas that were unique and different enough and fresh while still held true to the, the base sports that these people did. And then again, taking into account things like, yeah, we want the pro to look like a pro. We yeah. want to put them yeah. on a pedestal. We want to celebrate them, right? But we also don't want it to be total blowout where Correct. these Joes can't do anything. Correct. So, you know, again, I go back to testing. You know, a lot of that stuff we would find really, you know, whether it's, you know, collegiate athletes that were, you know, maybe had just finished or semi-pro, people that we could, you know, legally pay to come work with us to do some of these challenges. But we would get as close as we could as to, you know, to some of these pro athlete level, but obviously, you know, they're pro athletes. We're not going to be able to go get other pro athletes to come test. So a lot of it was sort of, you know, a little bit of a guessing. And then some of the pro athletes too, were in different shapes, right? Like some of them had just retired and some of them, like I remember Morton Anderson, like was retired, I think when he was with us, but then he went back in the league. I mean, the good thing was we, we kind of knew that that was going to be a thing. And we wanted to, we wanted to have the pros feel comfortable too, right? Especially like I worked on the first season, so not only are we trying to figure out what is a game on this show or how do we produce this show and what's the format on, you know, some of it tweaking the format and things, but also trying to, whenever you're doing a first show with celebrities, and this was the same for Big Brother Celebrity as it was for his first season of Pros versus Joes, you want to be mindful of what the celebrity's experience is, right? You want them to have a positive experience so that they'll go tell their friends and it's easier to recruit celebrities for the next season. So on Pros versus Joes, usually what we would do is I would have the game set up. I would walk the pro through it, kind of explain the rules, how it's going to work. And then I would either let them do kind of a little practice run and we would together sort of decide what it was going to be. Like I, I still remember Herschel Walker was in great shape. Yeah. But we had a game where it was about sort of the timing and picking the right angle. And the idea was, again, it's like, okay, well, we have a lot of running backs. 
you know, we've already done a lot of handoffs and you're trying to tackle the guy. We've done that a lot. So what else can we do? Well, Herschel Walker used to do kickoff returns, yes. you know, and punt returns and things. So we thought, you know, let's do that. So we, we gave Herschel the ball. He had to run down the side. Joe starting in the middle of the field. You got to take an angle and try to knock him out of bounds before he got to the end zone. <laughs> and so, you know, big question was like, well, where do we start Herschel? Where do we start the Joe? How far apart? You know, but again, we, you know, we had it all set up. We had a bunch of different cones. We had kind of like an ABC option, easy, medium, hard or whatever. And, um, and yeah, the little kid in me was like, Hey, Herschel, go line up. I'm going to be the Joe. Let's do this. <laughs> you know? So, so I'm out there as the guinea pig. I still have video footage of me like chasing down Herschel, trying to knock him down. Dude was lightning fast, way faster than I expected. But, you know, it's like you kind of run through it and you just sort of figure out like, okay, that's one less, you know, if you're doing a, a lot of these things are like science experiments, right? Sure. Well, I don't know what the Joe can do, but I now have one of the real variables in this experiment, which is the pro. So I'm put the pro in there. Let's have him run down the sideline with a football and let me who, you know, again, I got to assess my skill level, you know, in relation to a Joe. Uh, but, but let me put me in there and let me, let me play it and let's see kind of, you know, where where should we start the Joe? At least to get you a little closer. Um, but a lot of this stuff, you never have the time you want. You, you know, you don't. You're all you're, you're doing the best you can with as much data and testing as you can. But at some point, you gotta just cross your fingers. You know, go with your gut, plug it in, and sit back and watch. Indeed. Uh, did I ever tell you that Goldberg body slammed me? Um, oh my goodness, dude! The goal. <laughs> yeah. I still every time Goldberg comes up. I don't know if you remember. The so remember how we had the um the stand in Joe's right yeah of course where we did like the B roll of like just yeah 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 there, yeah nameless faceless eye sure sort of mimicking the game mimicking, we don't want to get, yeah. use real footage and give away the outcome right Cur- sure yeah so we would have a you know people kind of go in and play so you know at the time you know I'm playing in this flag football league I have all these buddies and one of my buddies you know I said hey man you know it might be this opportunity you want to come be a Joe. <laughs> He's like, you kidding me? It's a dream job. I get to catch balls with, you know, from, you know, I get to throw passes to Jerry Rice and I get to, you know, do ground. You know, it's like, yeah, this sounds like a dream job. Go hang out, meet some of these pro athletes and do these little shoot. Yeah, I'm in, man. Dream job. Yeah, until the Goldberg episode. <laughs> when, when there was, <laughs> this is actually hilarious. I don't know if you and I talked about this or if you remember being on set that day, but there was, I don't remember the exact details, but I remember there was some kind of a rule. Or I don't know if it was the duration of how long we wanted the round to go, but there was some kind of a decision that that was made where we decided to do the game a certain way or have a certain rule or whatever. But whatever it was, Goldberg did not like it. So right before we're shooting the little thing with the Joe, I'm up there having a conversation with Goldberg explaining this new rule that he did not like. So Goldberg starts screaming and yelling at me, getting very angry about you know what I just told him, and now. It's time to shoot the thing. And my buddy is just looking at me like, dude, you got this guy all pissed off. And now I got to go in there and wrestle with him. And dude, he beat the snot out of my buddy. Bloody lip, just slamming the crap out of him. And it was supposed to be this light little, oh, we're just kind of going through the motions for the B-roll. But Goldberg was so angry that he just destroyed my friend. And my friend never lets me live it down. It's always, you know, kind of a little, like the other day I actually saw Goldberg, uh, or not the other day, but you know, here before we close COVID down, you know, close yeah, down. Yeah, sure. I was in some store and I saw a Goldberg action figure and I shot a picture <laughs> of it. I texted it to my buddy. It was just like, oh my gosh. But yeah, he got a bloody lip because, you know, Goldberg would just like went up totally aggro on that one. Yeah, he body slammed me in the locker room. What? And yeah, it was. And yeah, so like, right. He felt like I needed, 
you know, I need to loosen up. Like I was too, <laughs> I was too, I was too, too, you know, too tense. And so he yeah, Dude, body slammed me. It was, another, yeah. So another body slam story that you may not be aware of. We had John Rocker on the show. I remember. Right? Baseball yeah. pitcher. And it's funny. That's, that was so long ago. I can't remember what, what challenges we landed on with him, but I, re- I sure remember testing one of them, which was, uh, you know, again, trying to be creative, right? Like there's a lot of, you know, can you hit the baseball, the pitcher's thrown, right? Yeah. So, but with Rocker, because he's a little more edgy and kind of a different persona. Indeed. Um, we thought, hey, what if we did a charge the mound game with John Oh my Rocker? God, now I remember. Yes. <laughs> yes. So again, I don't know if, I, I think we actually did it, right? Yes, we, we did. That, that was, yes, you had to charge the but, mound. What? But I remember what when we, we were thinking? pitching this to Spike, we were like, we were, you know, it was kind of hard to imagine, like it's sort of hard to envision, but we had John there. We wanted to do this game. So I was like, I was like, yo, John, you know, here's the idea. What do you think? Cause a lot of times he might be like, no F that. Right. Yeah, sure. But he was into it. He thought it seemed kind of entertaining and funny and whatever. So he was like, yeah, okay. So I said, Hey, can we just, you know, shoot a little video? We'll do like a little test here to send to the network. So they get an idea of what it looks like or whatever. And so of course, once again, I'm the Guinea pig. And so I'm in the batter's box. I pretend like he throws a you know high one at me. I go running. And the idea was it was basically like a sumo wrestling thing where my job as a batter was to charge the mound. I'm not allowed to throw any punches or kicks, but my job is to basically just bulldoze, try to get John Rocker off the mound. Like if I can get him out of that ring, I win, right? Yeah. So it was so funny, dude, because I was so mismatched with John Rocker. Like that dude is taller than you think and stronger than you think. He basically just lifted me up over his head. And he's just holding me in the air, like just sort of laughing, like how much time we got, you know, and I'm up there you know, trying to kick and not get myself down. But I went for it, man. I, and if, at the beginning, I took it kind of easy because, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to hurt him. But yeah, there was no worry about hurting him, you know. No. So I, I definitely like, then I went way harder and I'm like trying to take his legs out or whatever. But yeah, how many people can uh, recount their stories of like wrestling with John or Rocker? There you go. You, you can always say that, yeah, you, you took on John Rocker, um, just like any, just, just like a lot of batters did in yeah, Major right. League Baseball. Yeah. All right. So let's transition then to Big Brother. We're headed into season 22. All right. Your 14th season. Um, there's also been two celebrity seasons and an OTT season. All right. It is definitely a juggernaut for CBS. Each summer, you guys are still pumping out great ratings. And, you know, I find it, Pretty amazing that, you know, while some, you know, shows like Survivor, American Idol obviously had to kind of go away, you guys have really been consistent in terms of finding a new audience. Um, Young people have come and found the show. Um, I think the, you know, the young cast, the kind of really fun showmances and the the quirky challenges that you guys come up with. And um, what do you think, though? Why has Big Brother been able to maintain rating success, been able to find a new audience over the years? I think one big reason that Big Brother has maintained their success is that it is, again, you know, I'll use the analogy of the sporting thing, where I think for a lot of people, this is their sort of Super Bowl. You know, they get attached to the certain characters, they have a rooting interest, and over the course of several weeks, it's this living, breathing, sort of live thing. So unlike Survivor and some of the other shows, that were shot, you know, previously and, and now are kind of being re-edited. Even though a lot of the viewers don't know who won, you know, I think everybody kind of knows that it's been taped and edited. And there's some upside to that. It looks amazing. And there's, you know, awesome music cues and, and it can be really crafted because they have more time. 
what they lose is that sort of live immediacy thing. And I think the Big Brother fans have this connection with one another. And there's a, there's something special about feeling connected with other people watching this thing that is sort of happening live. On Big Brother, as you know, a lot of fans even pay to have the live feeds. So they're right. watching the gameplay and the strategy that's unfolding live in the house as people are making deals or talking who about, about who they're going to vote out or whatever. Um, but I think that's something really special, this sort of live feel and you know the fact that we do a live episodes once a week. It's the 24 hours element, I think, with the fixed rigs, right? It's the constant surveillance. I mean, I think that's the one show where you really get to feel like you know the characters in and out. I mean, Bachelor, I think, has a little bit of that, but I think Big Brother's the one where you feel like you really are living and breathing with them. And I think that- mm-hmm. Um, that's what, that's one reason why fans really glom onto it. Yeah. I think it's also in its delivery because we don't have a lot of time to cut it and get it on air. It, a lot of times it is that, you know, simplify, right? Like sometimes the conversations and the strategy and whatever can get sort of convoluted and people change their minds and they were going to vote this way and now they're going to vote that way, whatever. But credit to our story team, you know, they, they cut it down and try to simplify the story, make it clean and easy to digest because we don't have a ton of time, you know, to, to really get into a lot of the extra details and nuance and whatever. So, you know, I think, again, bless it, blessing and a curse, right? But I think the upside is that it is fairly simple and raw to some degree. Um, and I think that that helps on a lot of levels. You hit on a lot of these points earlier, but I want to kind of reset the structure of the show. You've got a big group of housemates, Living in a, you know, living in a large house, all locked in there for right around three months, right? 24 hours surveillance. You got two to three challenges each week with a live eviction and the craziness of three episodes each week, right? That to me, that's, it's insane that you're able to do that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you manage your team, right? And come up with, you know, up to three challenges each week. How are you able to pull that off? Well, the good news is we have, a, a nice library of classics at this point, right? There's sort of a, a, a longer growing list of games that, that people enjoy and kind of want to see again. So the nice thing is we're not totally starting from scratch. You know, we may end up doing, I don't know, like 40 plus games in a season, but we know a bunch of those are going to be our classics that we sort of know the structure. Yeah. We might still have to redesign the world or the props or some of the little nuances, but at least it's a starting point to work from. And over the years, fortunately, I've built a, an amazing team, uh, and and I lean on them a lot to to not only produce the classics and keep them fresh, but you know, a lot of times there'll be some new idea that I can assign. And we have just such good producers and craftsmen and people that we're able to figure out and do new things. Um, but a big part of it is, as you can imagine, planning. You know, sure. planning early on, getting on early to start mapping out this season and thinking about what what those games are and assigning them, trying to get early approvals so we know what we're working towards. And we try to have, uh, like right now we're up to four producing teams and some weeks we do four challenges in a week, but most weeks we do three. So it's nice to have that fourth team. Somebody can kind of jump ahead and that's crucial, right? That, That not everybody is trying to put out the immediate fire, but there's some people thinking about next week or the week beyond. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a miracle to be honest, like we pull it off every, every year, you know, we kind of look back and it's, it is daunting. It's a lot of volume. It's a, it's a relentless schedule, but we're given, we're given, um, you know, like I said, pretty talented folks to help pull it off and, 
pretty big staff as compared to most shows, I would say. So take me a little bit behind the the curtain a little bit, just in terms of um, pulling off a challenge in that quick of, of a time period, because, you know, with when you're doing two to three each week, there's not a lot of time to, you know, to reset from one to the other. How does that happen? So I'll tell you one thing that helps us with delivering these, these competitions in rapid succession is Google SketchUp. <laughs> so Google <laughs> SketchUp is a, a software program, like a 3D rendering program. And it, it, it saves us, to be honest. Like back in season, uh, I think around 14 is when we really started leaning on it a bit more with the art directors. And I think also around 14, if you look at the old seasons, there were, there were always games in the backyard, but they were far less art directed. And somewhere, I don't know if it was, I think it was maybe coming more from the network side, you know, some of the, the executives uh, on, on at that time, really pushing us to do sort of bigger and better art direction. So somewhere around 14, we started having these pretty much 360 transformations in the backyard. Like sometimes I'll talk to people that watch the show and they don't even realize that the games are shot in the backyard because we've art directed them to be so far different from, from anything resembling a backyard. Uh, but, but Google SketchUp has really helped, especially on, you know, there's these, so one of our more challenging days on a big brother shoot is the double eviction days. So yeah. double eviction is where we have a live episode where two people are getting evicted. And, but we still, in our format, try to adhere to the normal structure. If someone wins an HOH, they nominate two, then, uh, then they play a veto game. So on a live broadcast, we do a live HOH game and a live veto game. Usually, like I said, in that same backyard space, right? And so it was funny when, when we the first my first experience with double evictions kind of funny for like the the diehards that want to go back and watch footage if you watch the double evictions from say season 13 or whatever uh you can kind of tell and i'm giving away a little bit of the the, the sauce here but I, I think it's fine but you a lot of times there would be a game that would play in the yard and then when the house guests went inside a team went into the yard and was like feverishly scrambling to like move stuff and and move this over there and get ready for the next game and all this stress and anxiety of like getting, you know, and a lot of times it was minimal. It wasn't like an, you know, overhaul, but sure. you know, they might have to move some greens or this curtain or whatever, but even that on live TV is stressful. Sure. And so, you know, we did that, but then it was kind of like, why are we doing that to ourselves? Like, this is crazy. So then we started to think like, well, what if we just divide the yard in half and just have both games completely set up, ready to go. Nobody's going in the yard to scramble in between commercial breaks or whatever. And so, that became less stressful. But part of figuring that out was Google SketchUp and being able to design a to scale model in a virtual software of the backyard and then lay the games in. Because also remember Big Brother, very, you know, a lot of people don't don't necessarily know this, but very different shooting from most shows. So most reality shows, you have the luxury of once the set is built and the game is being played, the director has a lot of flexibility with where where his cameras can be you sure know, the, the camera yeah. operator can literally just walk over and get a better angle on big brother there's no camera guys in the yard right say. there's no camera people in the yard and so so much of the sh coverage needs to be really planned it's all being shot from behind these mirrors right 
or with these robocams. So even more, like not only are we working with a kind of a small space, sometimes accommodating a lot of people, but the camera has got to shoot through these windows. So you want to transform the world and make this, you know, big spectacle in this different space and have it look different, but you can't cover certain windows. <laughs> uh, so again, being able to use, and we don't have the luxury of setting up early because we want that yard to be used for reality time. So we can get the fun bikinis <laughs> shots and the reality scenes and everything happening in the yard. So we have very limited time to like lock the yard down, send yeah. the house guests inside and start setting up the games. So it's very important that we be, that whatever we're bringing in, that we have what we need and it's, and everybody knows how to set it up because we don't have a lot of time to set those games up before then we got to play them live. So again, the, 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 one of the most important tools that helps us do what we do is Google SketchUp <laughs> and being able to use a 3D render so we can start looking at how to divide the space, how long should the balance beam fit? Because we've had some times where we'll, we'll you know design stuff, but then and it, maybe it fits in the yard, but then it, you can't cover it because people are too close to the windows and you can't see their feet or you, know, you can't tell yeah. if they stepped off the balance beam or whatever it is, right? Um, so yeah, it's so, so helpful and such an amazing tool for us to be able to use these 3D modeling software and all kind of design it in virtual space before we start getting out the saws and hammers and welding stuff in. But that's, I would say that's probably if I had to pick one thing, you know, having that software is probably one of the more important things to pull this thing off. And um, because a lot of times we'll do sneaky stuff too, like on a double eviction day, we're not just shooting two games a day. We actually shoot three games on a double eviction day because we shoot the live HOH. We shoot the live veto. But then after the live show is over, we got to scramble to get ready because we that night shoot an HOH game. So a lot of times we're trying to fit three games in the yard. So again, having that software and oftentimes hiding, you know, backdrops behind other backdrops or, you know, knowing what the flow is. Like sometimes we'll put a one game closer to the house because it's, you know, maybe we don't need to strike it before we do the other, the nighttime game or whatever. But a lot of it's that logistics and, you know, being able to see it virtually um, helps us wrap our heads around and make smart choices. Oh, well, one, one thing that I love about the challenges on Big Brother is when you guys go messy. And it seems like that's because <laughs> that, that is a, a big theme with a lot of the challenges. Why do you guys love going, going messy on Big Brother? I don't know. I guess it just makes you laugh. <laughs> you know, it seems <laughs> well, funny. It's that works on it's me. It's just not like try not to overthink it. I don't know. Like, I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of Americans, if you look at a lot of the comedy and different things, they sort of resonate with with middle America. A lot of it is the the slapstick comedy, the physical comedy, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I think we we kind of lean into that a bit, right? Uh, I also think our demographic, we've we've started noticing a lot more younger viewers. You know, I think there's people that got into the show years ago, and a lot of those people now are have kids and they watch the show with their kids. So I think we're starting to see some younger viewers. And I think they love that. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, everybody has a boss and my bosses <laughs> <you> like, <laughs> like it. So we do it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just kind of fun, silly. And that's become, you know, come our brand. I think also it's like, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, part of what we're trying to do is we know there's a lot of politics and negative things going on in the world. And so when we're doing these challenges, it's an opportunity for us to take the viewer to a different place, different space, and just have fun, be silly. Yeah, there's sometimes there's stakes or there may be some challenges where it's more tension and drama because there's some interesting, you know, character dynamic and something, go, you know, going on that that gives it a different feel. 
But I think when we're designing the season and we're sort of just mapping stuff out, you know, we try to plug in some of this stuff that's funny and messy and silly. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it's worked for us. Now, this is a tough question because you've done so many seasons. Tell me about one or two, three. You don't have to be specific, like, you know, don't, you don't have to pick one. What are some of your favorite challenges over your many seasons or it could be your funny, the funniest challenges that you've seen? Tell me a little bit about what are your most memorable moments uh, from Big, Bro- Big Brother. You know, I think because we were just talking about messy, one of the first ones that comes to mind, and I think I like it just because I just, it felt so just sort of different. Um, and it's kind of a funny story of how it started. Um, you know, we we were talking, we, we'd, I'm sorry, a lot of times from season, I'd say 14 on, the requirement of a Big Brother challenge started getting more difficult because it wasn't enough just to have a, a clean, judgeable game, you know, or even interesting strategy, you know, sort of game that might spark reality. That wasn't enough anymore. Suddenly now we were being asked to do these, you know, ridiculous over the top transformations of the yard, these different worlds and spaces, right? And take a lot of planning and, and money and labor and all that, right? So at some point, I think I was kind of bumping on that or like fighting this idea that everything had to be this transformation. And so I pitched what I thought was like a way easier game, which by the way, ended up not being, <laughs> it was like, everything <laughs> seems easy until you get yeah, into it. I know. But I was like, I was like, what if there is no transformation? What if they go to the yard and there's nothing there, but a big black box. <laughs> I was like, there's just a box in the yard and the world is the big brother backyard you know so i'm thinking yay we just saved a bunch of money We're yeah not dealing sure. with, you know um and so the pitch was yeah there's a big black box and the game's simple you're going to enter that door it's pitch black inside there you gotta find a key exit the door and stop your clock you know so it's like oh super simple but then again an opportunity to do messy, silly fun inside there. And it's all shot with infrared cameras. Okay. You know? um, so I just thought that was kind of a fun, different kind of take on like, you know, what a big brother challenge is. And, you know, I like, I like things that are kind of new and different. So for me at the time on big brother, that felt sort of different doing something that was all IR and pitch black. And, you know, and so, like I said, sort of that cleverness of like, Oh, it's like the one game. That's not a big transformation. Sure. Um, you just walk outside. And there's this big mysterious you know, black box in the yard. Um, and then it's funny because that one has grown and evolved. We've done other, what we call quote, black box challenges, but it's funny, the interior gameplay yeah. has changed from time to time we've done, and they've all been great. They've been, I've really enjoyed a lot of the different formats we've done, but we've done different formats and, um, you know, it's led to, you know, it kind of evolved into one recently that was a ton of fun. Um, one of the celebrity big brothers, we really, instead of just the black box, we actually designed it to look more like a, you know, haunted house. And we did sort of like this escape room kind of thing where the celebrities had to go in, they were looking for something and then trying to escape as fast as possible. And oh my goodness, dude, it was so <laughs> funny. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm on a headset trying to do rules briefings and Tamar Braxton can't even get through the rules. Like on that one, you know, again, part of the psychology of some of these games is I think about, I think a lot about the user experience. And there's a lot of times where I'll play a game and I'll try to cheat because I want to know what things might bite yeah. us in the butt later, sure. you know? Sure. And like, if I come up with a way to quote cheat, like, wait, is that a cheat? Or is that just a really awesome, innovative tr- strategy? And we should allow that because if someone is clever enough to do this cool thing, like, great, let them win. You know, they deserve it, you know? Um, so that's a big part of the process is thinking through that sort of player experience. So on this one, 
you know, I knew that not everybody was going to be real excited to go into this like scary, creepy, you know, dark environment. Right. And so I thought to myself like, okay, well, we want to, we don't want to tell them off camera what's happening. Like mo- a lot of games, we'll sort of brief them. Like, here's the, you know, how it works. Here's the off camera rules, answer questions, make sure they understand what they're getting into before they start. But this one, it was like, no, 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 we got to get them. Like we got to get their reaction to what they're doing on camera. And thank God we did it that way because Tamar Braxton was priceless. We just basically stuck her on her mark, handed her a host card and was like, go, like just start reading. So Tamar enters the space. She sees it's creepy. She's a little creeped out, but she's not quite sure yet. But the cameras are rolling and she picks up the card. She starts reading and she can barely get through it. And dude, I was laughing so loud that I had to like compose myself and then like hit the button to talk, you know, so she could hear me. But I was, you know, because I didn't want to throw her off or think I was laughing at her or whatever. But her, you know, body language and the things she was saying, like we we probably could have done a whole act just on her. And she didn't even go through the thing. She ended up making it into the first room and then gave up and quit. But like, she was just so funny and entertaining. Um, so anyhow, like to answer your question, you know, I think the black box thing that we did years ago, and then we've kind of repurposed and it's kind of morphed and evolved into this, you know, other versions of the game. It kind of led into things that maybe we wouldn't call black box, but, you know, getting mileage out of people in the pitch black encountering messy, sticky stuff, getting disoriented, you know, where the viewer is sort of third person omniscient, kind of knows everything. You know, I think there's something fun about that when the viewer is sort of in on the joke or kind of can see the world and the player can't, you know, I think there's some fun stuff there. So I I would say that's one that I, you know, really enjoyed. So one challenge that I'm particularly proud of, and I think it's partly because of the the game design and, and something I felt like was really unique and clicked a lot of boxes for us. But the other reason it's one of my favorites is because there's sort of a behind the scenes story of adversity with it <laughs> that okay. I sort of Always take is. pride in. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back on, I think I came up with the idea back on season 14, I pitched it, but it didn't air for like, I don't know. We never actually did it for like several seasons later. I don't, I can't remember what season we finally did it, but I can tell you, but it definitely was not season 14. It probably wasn't 15. Yeah, it might have been. I don't know. I don't know what year. I think it was like maybe. <laughs> you, you've been on it for so long. Yeah, it's like I, it all blurs together. But I can <laughs> tell you that there was this game that uh, that I came up with called Tumbling Dice, and the idea for this game was, uh, you know, you can imagine a dice, right? These sure. little things you roll in your hand. Yeah. But what we did was, I said, let's build a die that is big enough for a human to fit inside of. <laughs> Like, let's make a lightweight. I like dice. it already. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the way the game worked was it was a head to head competition where two people um, are both inside of one of these big dice things. They both start with the same number on the top of the dice and they're on the little platform. They have a limited space that looks like a big gaming table to roll the dice by pushing on the walls and kind of jumping and hopping and leaning and, you know, committing to rolling these, these, these dice end over end, right? But it was actually a, even though there's a little bit of physicality and there's some movement, which again, something we're always striving for is like, you want action, you want motion, you want movement, you want visuals. But because on Big Brother and a lot of shows I do, you are, you're often dealing with different body types, men versus sure. women. Yeah. You know, we need the games to work for, you know, different types of people competing against each other. And so I felt like this was a really fun one because it was visual and kind of had movement and motion, but it wasn't overly athletic. Um, it was actually a bit more mental because the way the game worked was you both start with the same number up, a random number's rolled, and then on go, you're both racing to roll your die 
so that the target number is facing up when you get back on the platform. Okay. So there's a bit, a bit of a mental puzzle with like, oh, do you f- go forward, forward, left, right, back, over? You know, there's a bit of um, you know mental gymnastics and figuring out which way to manipulate this die so you can flip back to your starting position with the correct number up, right? Yeah. Um, so anyhow, this game was, uh, you know, we put it on. It actually won like a most, like there's some reality TV awards and this one won like most creative challenge that year or something. Um, and, but it was funny because that game almost never happened in the beginning when I pitched it. You know, I think a lot of people just couldn't quite visualize it or they'd visualize it, but they would in their mind's eye picture the, this like crazy death trap, unsafe, you know, metal box, like chopping off limbs. Like, you know, how are you going to build a box big enough that's strong enough to withstand and, you know, doesn't kill somebody? What if somebody falls inside of it? And so, you know, everything was like sky is falling, super dangerous, impossible. This can't be built. And so I kind of was like, oh, you know, I, know, I got enough, you know, I got enough fights to have or whatever. I don't need to have this fight. Like whatever, we'll come, we'll do some other stuff. So I just kind of let it, sit on the shelf and just sort of ignore it. But then, I don't know, it just, there was something really fun about this idea. I just never saw anything quite like it. I liked that it had both physical and mental, you know, which was something we need. It also had this design of sort of that calling out element that, that works well on the show. A lot of times people sort of, you know, the bigger picture for a lot of these reality challenges is it's not just enough to do a, you know, nice little beginning, middle end within the game. Like, yeah, that's, that's what we want. But the great challenges are ones that actually propel the storyline, right? This is a bigger, this is a cog and a bigger wheel of this reality show. So most shows, most challenges, you're trying to reveal personality traits. You're trying to tell those character stories through the game and the decisions they make. You're trying to form bonds with people because they celebrate together or drive a wedge and force conflict as a result of these games, right? And so that's another thing that this game had the ability to do with that call out factor of like, who are you challenging? Sometimes it it brings up some of that other stuff. So anyhow, I just felt like it worked on a lot of levels, but I really was proud that we even pulled it off because I think for a couple of years, I just kept being told, no, you can't build <laughs> yeah, that. Sure. It's going to kill somebody. It's going to be too <laughs> heavy. It's gonna... So finally, one day, you know, I had recruited this engineer to be part of our team. He was new to TV. I pulled him in my office. I'm like, dude, you're an engineer. Am I crazy? Like, be honest. Like, am I nuts? Like, it seems to me like we buy some mesh, some PVC pipe at Home Depot, and we can build a prototype, and this thing's going to work. What do you think? He's like, yeah, totally. I don't, I don't know why everybody's so freaking out. So, you know, when when everybody else was sort of negative Nancy, I basically gave this kid some cash, sent him to Home Depot. He built a mock-up, and then suddenly it worked. And now people are walking by and and you see people tumbling around in the parking lot with zip ties and mesh and some PVC pipe. And suddenly it's like, Oh wait, what, what's that guy doing? Oh, what is that? Oh, that's cool. Oh, Oh wow. You know? And so then we started to get more comfortable with it and then, you know, and then we do new versions and strengthen it whenever. But I think people started to see like, Oh, you're not going to kill people. And like, Oh, it's actually not as hard as I thought to move that thing or what, you know? Um, but anyhow, so that was kind of a fun one because I, I feel like it was one that I was sort of told no and sure. it's impossible and somebody's going to die or whatever. And then fast forward to like, oh, it actually works and it's fun and it wins this award, you know? Those are the, I think that was kind of a, yeah. a fun, there's sort of a fondness for tumbling dice is one of the- It's a good victory. It's a good victory. Yeah. So in terms of Big Brother and like sort of the the history of Big Brother, right? And like how how many challenges we've done- Obviously, there's a lot of challenges that are kind of repeat challenges or, sure. or started to take on a life of their own. 
And one of those challenges, I'm sort of proud. It's like one of my little feathers in my cap for the my big brother uh, <laughs> <laughs> legacy, if you will, is on season seven, All Stars. I pitched this idea where I said, you know, I was like, hey, what if, uh, you know, to win the veto, you know, we do this like tiki god island kind of vibe, you know, sacrifice to the gods kind of thing. I and, remember uh, that challenge. And, I do. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and we'll, you know, we rented some tiki head from some place or whatever. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they'll, you know, we'll have these mats. It'll be a little bit like musical chairs where they, it starts with, you know, five mats, but six players. And, you know, they'll pray to this, uh, this God, we'll name it Otev, you know, the Otev, like to me sounded like some tribal and, you know, which is veto spelled backwards, obviously. But it's like, oh yeah, they'll pray to this God Otev, you know, and he'll, his voice will demand things of them. And they got to remember stuff from the season and bring back the right little voodoo doll or whatever as a sacrifice to Otev to win the power of veto. So this was like a game. It played well. And we got lucky on that one in that the character dynamics and the the way it played out on that season with those characters was really dramatic and was actually kind of a close judging call, which kind of stinks, but made it more exciting for the viewers or whatever. Um, but I left seasons, you know, I did season seven, you know, we did that. It was great, whatever. I left. I hadn't, I kind of lost touch with shows. I, I was out doing other things. I came back not till like season 14, well, 13 I consulted on, but whatever. I come back on season 14 you know, after, you know, again, like since season seven. Sure. And people are coming up to me like, oh, you know, so what are you going to do for Otev this year? And I was like, Otev? What? <laughs> and I had to like think about it for a second. I was yeah. like, oh, you mean that like silly Tiki God thing I came up with back on season seven? Like, oh yeah, Otev's a thing. We, we do it every year now. It's It's been the Broadway clam. It's been the this or that. And like, and so, and we still do it now, but now Otev is like, Total ridiculous yard transformation. And like every year, it's some wacky character named Otev. That's great. And it's become sort of part of the US Big Brother kind of, I don't know, fabric or whatever. So that every year that that now has become a thing. And, you know, now it's like Otev, you know, we had Otev the possessed pig that like his eyes rolled in the back of his head and he would transform into this evil demon and spew vomit on them. You know, we had Otev the stinky skunk who like lifted his tail and sprayed Uh. disgusting smell stuff on them. Like, so now it's become this whole like larger than life puppet, you know, special effects thing um, that's just sort of like kind of grew like a mind of its own, you know? Uh, So that's another one that that I'm, I guess I'm sort of, uh, proud of in terms of like that I've had a, you know, something that's been a, one of those like traditions, you know, I've, I feel yeah. like I've contributed to sort of the tradition yeah. of big brother in, a, in kind of a fun way. Well, I think the, the common theme in all those super fun, like mm-hmm. don't take in, like none of those are super serious. I've had the good fortune of doing stuff that's comedic in nature. And I think there's something fun about that kind of writer's room vibe when, you know, I'm I'm with the team and we're sort of pitching ideas out. And, you know, those are fun days when yeah. we're, you know, making yeah. each other laugh in the room and, you know, kind of one up in each other. I have a thing on on my team that I do because, you know, a lot of my my staff is, uh, you know, I've sort of trained them in my own image in a way sure. where a lot of times we're constantly thinking about what could go wrong. And we're trying to prevent the, you know, when you're doing live TV, you think about that, like, well, how likely is that to break? Or what if somebody violates a rule? How are we going to deal with that on live TV or whatever it is, right? We're, we're constantly thinking about what could go wrong. And we're trying to trying to plug holes in that, right? But but sometimes that has a negative effect when you're in the front end of a development of a, of a cycle and you're trying to come up with ideas, 
you know, I noticed a lot of my team was so good at thinking about what could go wrong that it was stifling creativity. You know, someone would throw out an idea and someone else would be like, oh, but it, you know, it's gonna be hard to judge because, you know, and so we started adopting this new thing of, uh, kind of born from uh, sketch comedy. You know how in sketch comedy, they teach you to say yes. And right. You never, if a, if a partner on stage in, in sketch comedy, or I'm sorry, like, yeah, like, I don't know if it's sketch or improv or whatever, improv, but in comedy, yeah. if someone, if your if your scene partner throws out some ridiculous idea, you don't say no to them. If they say, oh, I like your hat, you don't say, I'm not wearing a hat. You say, oh, thanks. And you build up and oh, I, you know, I bought it three weeks ago, whatever. You pl- you say yes, and you keep building that scene, right? You keep propelling it forward by agreeing with them and, and building upon it. And so we've started to adopt this thing um, where we say, yes, if, right? So you can come up with a problem but but you present the problem not as no that won't work because of this problem you present the problem as like yes if we can figure out how to do that more uh, cheaply or yeah, yes if we can figure out how to keep people safe from falling off that ledge or you know and it, and it, but it's funny like that simple phrase of a yes if it leads to productive uh constructive criticism and and you're already trying to solve the the problem right but you're keeping that idea alive yeah. you know you're trying to grow that seed you're trying to grow that seed. Yes. If we can give enough sunlight. Yes. If we can give it more water, it's going to grow and blossom. So look, some, some ideas, some seeds are maybe not as good as others and maybe they're yeah. not worth all the energy it takes to grow them. But there's, you know, I think that's something that's been kind of fun for us is to, to build on ideas and and not just identify the problems, but go ahead and try to think through solving the problems, you know? Yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great attitude. It's something that, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of producers need a little bit more positivity, um, just to kind of push them forward as opposed to kind of shutting down some of their ideas. It's, it's a good attitude. Um, I got to ask you about Floored, right? Somehow you mm-hmm. found time amidst taking a break from <laughs> Big Brother. You found time to co-create a show for Quibi, the, the new streaming platform that launched in April. Uh, you created the, co-created the show called Floored. Tell me a little bit about Floored. Um, and how that, how you managed to find the time to do that. So Steve, little known fact about Heath Lumen. If you tell me you're voted. a dancer, if you tell me. <laughs> I was voted best dancer in high school. Steve. Oh my God. So is there video? I assume there's video <laughs> of this and, <laughs> and I will call Joel. I will call your wife and I will get now, the video. And, now, now, admittedly, it's a very small high school in a very rural town. So, uh, so you know, grain of salt. But, uh, but no, I've I've always loved music. I, I ho- I'm a hobbyist. I kind of mix music, DJ a little bit, record, and and so music's always been a passion of mine. Okay, and I do enjoy jam- dancing. You know, one day I was up at Universal City Walk, and I don't know if you've been up there. Uh, if you recall. There's a, uh, you see these all around different places, but there's a water fountain feature that shoots the water up out of the ground. You know what okay. I'm talking about? Those little Vaguely. splash pads. Sometimes Vaguely. you'll see them at different parks, but you've seen these little water fountains where you can like actually walk onto them and they shoot water up. Um, you know, you get wet if you, if you're at the wrong place at the right, right time. But it was funny because I think I was just sort of like seeing how, you know, people were sort of gathered around and kids are kind of running through this little splash pad. And I started thinking to myself, you know, I bet that. I bet that thing is on a timer, like it's on a pattern. It's probably doing the same thing over and over. And I sort of had this idea of like, oh man, it'd be cool to do something like that. But where you design a dance routine 
knowing that like, oh, when this water is going to shoot off to your left, you do a cool dance move to the right. And I started imagining like, oh, it'd be fun if you had kind of like electric slide sort of line dance that you could do (laughs) where you look like a magician, like ninja, like dodging all the water because you're doing this cool dance move and you know how to like do the code, dodge all the stuff. And that was sort of how this idea for Floored was born. Floored is a dance competition series where two crew, but crews come on and they're talented, like legit dancers, right? Like a lot of these people dance in like music videos and, you know, do other stuff. Uh, I've been on some of the other shows or whatever, but yeah. So the idea is these two dance crews are going to dance, but we give it a little wrinkle. We give it a little twist of comedy where the dance floor that they're dancing on also dances, (laughs) meaning (laughs) it's basically a giant gimbal that tilts, that rotates. And if that's not enough, every now and then there'll be like pendulums that swing through or teddy bears that knock oh, you over or streamers that trip you up, yeah. you know? Um, and it was tricky finding the balance because we didn't want to go like- Too far. Yeah, you want to go Yeah, too it's far. like we really kind of wanted our cake and eat it too, right? Like right. we wanted to be a little, you know, a little, little funny yeah, slapstick what, comedy. You want to go wacky right? and fun, but you also want to let them Ex- dance. But I also love dance and I wanted yeah. to show cool dancing and I wanted to have- you know, a dance thing where maybe their dance is even more enhanced than usual because they're using what seemed like a detriment to their advantage. So going sure. back to the the water thing, it's like, yeah, it if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's funny and I'm getting wet and silly, right? But if I'm dodging all the the water jets and it just looks like some miraculous magician, like suddenly it's like jaw dropping, like, wow, like that was amazing. Like, how do you pull that off? Uh, and so when we're getting into these, people that are way better dancers than me, you know, better athletes. And we're doing these crazy intense tilts of the floor and things, you know, it's kind of fun to see how some of the dancers would, you know, adapt their routine to work with the floor. So it was a, it was a way to do dance and, you know, actually good dance moves and legit dancers, but throw a fun challenge at them where suddenly they got this new dance partner they didn't ask for that is the floor and they got a and the floor isn't going to do what they say so they got to adapt to what the floor is doing and uh you know so anyhow anyhow that's that's basically the gist of it it's uh liza koshi who's an amazing host right um we have different uh guest judges each episode that come on and basically they you know they're just gonna pick a winner and like i said it's kind of light and fun it moves quick um but yeah it's it was a lot of fun it's been in the works a while. I'm real proud of it. Uh, I think the the team really blew it out of the out of the water, just knocked it out of the park. All right, cool. Let me let me ask you. We'll we'll wrap this up here. I just want to get your take on uh, some of the things now. Is as we're kind of into this weird stage here, is we're all kind of trying to figure out how do we get back to production? How do we how do we figure out how to start filming again? Right? Um, we've kind of figured out how to do post production. Right? You can edit from home, um, but You've seen some greenlit shows where you can do self-shooting. I just wanted to see what you think, you know, I mean, that is not your world. Your world is a big budget, big competition show. How do you feel about doing these self-shot shows um, and maybe having to rely on some of that for a few months? I think part of the challenge is is trying to understand what are the parameters that we're working within. So, you know, I'm in a process right now of trying to, educate myself and learn a bit more about this stuff. I know CBS is, has a task force. They're going to be publishing something soon that'll, that'll help. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's an interesting time. I think it's easy to be sort of bummed out, right? Like, sure. Oh, we can't do what we normally do, but I'm still trying to stay optimistic in that. I think a lot of times 
you know, what do they say? Um, the, you know, that it's like the creative solutions, you know, are, sure. come from, sure. from restrictions or, in a, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, yep. right? So I'm hoping that we're going to see creative solutions to some of this stuff. And I'm also kind of hoping, like, I think it'll be a fun litmus test to see, you know, we've owned a lot of this stuff, these, you know, big budget shows, they look amazing. There's so many craftsmen that that pour their hours and talents into this stuff. And I think it's awesome. And I think there's still going to be a space for that. Um, but I think, yeah, you might see some other stuff that maybe is done a little more efficiently, less expensive, looks a little different. And it'll be fun to see, like, do we need to be doing these over the top, you know, transformations, tons of money, right? whatever? Or is it like, no, it kind of, you don't need that. You kind of, kind of works without it, you know? So I think that'll be kind of interesting to see how audiences respond to different shows and it might guide us a little bit. Who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll actually come out of this thing being like, oh yeah, we're kind of recalibrating our, our goals and our sites or what we need to focus on. I also think there's an opportunity to do, you know, I've, for a while I've been, you know, like you said, I've been doing, you know, these challenge shows, game shows, whatever. But I also think there's a lot of different formats or some stuff I'm developing for CBS that is different, that has a different kind of in or different take or different subject matter that could, that I think are also um, a little more shootable in this, in this time Okay, that aren't the traditional formats. So I'm actually excited that maybe people will take some chances on different formats that are maybe a little more COVID proof. Um, and it might give an opportunity to some, maybe some things that people were too afraid to take risks on before, like shows that were more different that maybe they were nervous because there's nothing like it. Yeah. And maybe now they'll be sort of forced to take some risks and, and we might actually see some really fun breakthrough genre. So I'm sort of an, uh, an optimist, I guess that I'm hoping. Um, all right, my friend. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been awesome. Dude, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for, for the time. It's nice talking with you and, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying the podcast. Keep it up, man. I'm, I'm, I'm subscribed. I'm in. <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much, Heath. Uh, I know things are crazy now, so I appreciate the time. All right. That does it for another episode of no script, no problem. Now for everyone listening, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download and rate it. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. Once again, please remember to subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. You can also write a question if you have one, and then I can answer it on the show. You can email me at noscriptnoproblempodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the audio connection. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.